This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Welcome to the Football CFB Champions League preview. I'm delighted to be joined by the France-based soccer correspondent for CBS Sports, Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan's covered elite-level football for a number of years. He's based in Paris and he watches French football close hand every single week. Jonathan, first of all, how are you? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing really well, and I'm, I'm delighted to, to welcome you back to the show. And I'm welcoming you back to the show at a, at a real interesting time of, of football in, 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 in the Champions League because we are approaching the last eight. If I just briefly go through the last 16 results, you had Chelsea beating Atletico Madrid um, 3-0 in aggregate, Bayern Munich winning 6-2 against Lazio, Manchester City be- beating Mönchengladbach 4-0, Real Madrid beating Atalanta 4-1, Liverpool 4-0 victory over Leipzig, Paris Saint-Germain winning 5-2 over Barcelona, Dortmund 5-4 in a thrilling uh, couple of encounters against Sevilla. And then arguably the shock of the last round, Porto going through in away goals after a 4-0 draw over two games with Juventus. In terms of the tournament so far, Jonathan, which teams have impressed you most? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Bayern set the, the European standard at this moment in time. PSG had a very impressive first leg uh, against uh, against Barcelona. Um, Porto obviously came through against the odds uh, against Juventus. So, uh, you know, I'd say that they're three teams that impress, have impressed me. I wouldn't say necessarily that I've been bowled over by Chelsea in the Champions League, but I've been impressed with the way that Tuchel has managed to make them so solid so quickly. Uh, after taking the uh, the job after leaving uh, PSG, obviously PSG struggled in the the group stages, but um, took a, ultimately managed to get them to come out on top of their group. Uh, you know, so to see him coaching again uh, and and with a team in the the latter stages is uh, is very interesting uh, to me, uh, considering uh, you know his um, trajectory with, uh, with with PSG during his time at Parc des Princes. So I'd, I'd say that probably the most impressive team so far uh, would be, uh, you know, the the likes of Bayern, uh, the likes of PSG uh, and the likes of Porto for, for punching above their weight there. And in the last day, the, the ties are absolutely mouthwatering. You've got Paris Saint-Germain playing Bayern Munich, which I personally think is, is, is the tie of the round. But having said that, Manchester City versus Dortmund's another thrilling uh, contest. You've got Real Madrid and Liverpool, two, two sides who you could say are underachieving domestically this season, but are absolute heavyweights of, of European football. And then you've got the intriguing element of Chelsea versus Porto. Before we come to those games, and I know it's something that you've discussed on CBS Sports as a whole, Haaland and Mbappe, those two footballers have been phenomenal this season in the Champions League. They've been phenomenal, let's be honest with you, for a number of years now. But this season in particular, a lot of people seem to be highlighting those two players as being 
the new kings of football almost because you've got Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi who are still producing good numbers at their age. They're still producing world-class displays, which their the statistics, as I say, back up. But most people are starting to think that football and the best players in the world, that sort of tag of Ballon d'Or winner, maybe will lie out with Ronaldo and Messi now. From Haaland and Mbappe, do you think either of them has, has got it in them to step up to that sort of Ronaldo-Messi play over the next few years? Do you think both of them could have a similar rivalry as well? Uh, I'm not so sure about the rivalry. I think that that's something that's going to take a long time to form. I mean, obviously, a lot of people, uh, you know, are sort of driving that narrative right now. And, you know, obviously, they're, they're the two leading um, young talents in, in world football at this moment in time. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're competing with each other. Uh, although, you know, I know that Haaland in particular likes to sort of play to the media and, uh, and, and suggest that he's keeping an eye on what uh, Mbappe is doing. I think he said um, after he scored those goals in the first leg against Sevilla that he'd watched uh, and been inspired by Mbappe the, the night before when Mbappe got his hat-trick at Camp Nou. So, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're two players to watch, but I do think that there is an opportunity for, you know, sort of other players now to sort of come to the fore in terms of uh, the, the Ballon d'Or. Uh, you know, I know he was injured for both legs against Barcelona, but this is a golden opportunity now for Neymar when you consider how key he was in PSG's run to the Champions League final last season. You know, if he can come back and play an influential role against Bayern, uh, you know, possibly get PSG through to a potential semi final against a, a City or a Dortmund, uh, you know, then uh, it's th- there's definitely. Uh, you know, potential for 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 somebody like him to to end up being a Ballon d'Or winner. I mean, you know, obviously it's not just uh, Mbappe and and Haaland who will be in contention for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily something that people should want to happen either. That it turns into another Messi Ronaldo uh, duopoly. You know, I think it would be refreshing to have sort of you know three to five uh, players sort of you know challenging for that crown. Uh, over the next decade or so. But obviously Mbappe and Haaland will be in that uh, debate. Uh, you know, I just think, uh, you know, it's it's quite refreshing now to be sort of moving away from the Messi and Ronaldo era as far as uh, the Ballon d'Or goes. One last question on Mbappe before we come to the games individually. You've watched them up closely for a number of years uh, at Monaco and now at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, your, your CBS colleague Jamie Carragher alongside Thierry Henry here in, in UK television were talking about him a few weeks ago and they were they were comparing both players but I was really interested by Henri in particular with his analysis of Mbappe because he can do so much as a footballer he can stay wide and punish you with assists or he can get in behind and punish you uh, in a one-on-one situation through and goal ultimately Jonathan do you think his best position will be maybe in one of those wide forward or inside forward type roles rather than being a, a strict number nine through the middle? Or do you think he's just so good that he will, he'll fluidly play across the front line for the foreseeable? I mean, I, you know, I do think he has the, the potential to play in any of those forward positions. The, the thing that I would say is that I haven't seen him look really impressive uh, playing through the middle just yet. Uh, you know, I've seen... Uh, you know a lot from him uh, out wide, you know, because I think that's where he can uh, he can hurt teams with his pace. Uh, you know, I think that playing through the middle is probably something that he may well refine. Uh, you know, sort of later on in his career, I don't think that 
he uh, he is sort of ready yet to uh, uh, you know to assume a sort of uh, you know Ronaldo esque role because we saw Ronaldo you know follow a uh, you know a similar um, uh, a, a similar trajectory where he moved from out wide uh, into the middle uh, as his career progressed. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Mbappe does something similar. Uh, you know, whereas Haaland, uh, you know, uh, has just been played through the middle uh, from the start. You know, I do think that Mbappe probably contributes more overall in terms of, you know, the attacks being formed, whereas Haaland, you know, is is largely just a, a pure finisher. But um, for for Mbappe, I, I think that his best position at this moment in time is is certainly out wide using his pace to, to hurt teams. Uh, and it's, you know, playing sort of a, a strict number nine role is something that he's going to have to hone uh, over time because, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen from him, uh, you know, he he is not quite ready, uh, you know, to to excel uh, in that central role just yet. Staying on Paris Saint-Germain, they, they're playing Bayern Munich in, in, a, in a completely mouth-watering tie. And it's, as I say, in my opinion, the, the tie that I think I'll be watching uh, most closely because I think whoever wins that tie, you could say is favourites to win it. Again, that's just my opinion. Um, Paris Saint-Germain under Maurizio Pochettino. What's the transition been like from Tuchel to Pochettino? Um, as you mentioned, Thomas Tuchel had a, a tough group stage with Paris Saint-Germain, but he, he got them out on top in the end, as was expected albeit maybe not in the style that, that people would have wanted at the club uh, particularly. What's Pochettino's uh, Paris Saint-Germain side been like since he inherited the role? Oh, it's been very interesting. He's gone for a, a 4-2-3-1 with Marco Verratti as uh, something of a makeshift number 10. Uh, so it's it, it looks different uh, on the pitch to, to how Tuchel had them lining up. So, uh, you know, I'd say that the probably the main difference is the... Uh, this rejuvenation uh, that, uh, that that Pochettino has brought, you know, the the players seem to be happier, enjoying their football once again. Okay, they've they've suffered some unexpected results, um, but you know, they they generally it generally large uh, it generally appears to be a, a positive, uh, you know, working environment to be in. Uh, you know, the players seem happy, and you know, there definitely seems to be potential there. Uh, you know, for Pochettino to be able to turn PSG into a very formidable side, uh, both domestically and and continentally. You know, we've seen them be, you know, quite uh, complacent this season. Uh, you know, getting beaten unexpectedly at times, but uh, you know, I think with a few possible additions, you know, just to tweak the uh, uh, the formation uh, a little bit and have some players playing in their more natural roles. Uh, you know, I do think that that Pochettino has the the, the potential to have a very strong PSG um, you know uh, available to him so it's it's been interesting to see the way that that he's moved away from some of uh, you know Tuchel's uh, players that he would rely on you know to, to see guys who had been enjoying regular minutes this season and then have, have not been involved at all the likes of Tito Kera uh, but um, you know he's still largely using the same core um, of the of the team, you know, guys like Captain Marquinhos, Kero Navas in goal, Presnok Pembe, uh, you know, moving into the midfield, Marco Verratti. Uh, then you've got, uh, you know, Neymar and Mbappe. Icardi's now uh, back fit and playing regularly. Moise Ken has done very well uh, on loan from Everton this season. So, uh, you know, there is a there is a solid base there, and I think it's just going to need a few tweaks uh, for Pochettino to to get the, a team that he's very happy with. 
Bayern Munich, on the other hand, under Hansi Flick, they are expected again to, to win the Bundesliga. However, uh, there are a few observers who are saying they haven't been maybe as consistent as, as you would expect them, them to be. And, and just on Bayern as well, we talked about the Ballon d'Or earlier. Robert Lewandowski, for me, if there was an award last year, would have been the player that would have won it. He is an incredible talisman. We're talking about Haaland being a pure out-and-out finisher. Well, Lewandowski, obviously, is the, the proven version, you could say, of that, who's been there and done it for the last decade. In terms of Bayern, do you expect them to be able to cause PSG a lot of problems uh, defensively because you've got the likes of Alfonso Davis who can who can drive and, and get into the final third. And as I've just mentioned, you've got a player in Lewandowski who you would back nine times out of ten to score in any match. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that Bayern obviously have uh, the the ability to to cause PSG plenty of problems, especially when you look at how difficult PSG found it against Barcelona in that second leg. Uh, you know, and also how uh, you know they were vulnerable at times, especially uh, down the flanks in the in the first leg. You know, Kazawa struggled before improving in the first leg. Uh, same same with Florenzi. Uh, you know, so I think that PSG will probably aim to be more solid as they were uh, in the second half of the second leg against Barcelona after that major onslaught in the opening forty five minutes. Uh, and and obviously Bayern have more than enough firepower to to cause them problems. But, you know, I also think that PSG have stronger defensive elements than many of the teams that have come up against Bayern. You know, I don't think you see a Lazio-esque capitulation uh, from PSG in the face of the Bayern attack. You know, Keylor Navas is a formidable force in goal. Uh, Marquinhos and Kimpembe are, you know, very good. Uh, I just feel that the key to that matchup between the Bayern attack and the PSG defence uh, will be, uh, you know, Pochettino striking the right balance. And for me, uh, I think PSG will be more solid uh, at the back if he goes with Diallo at left back instead of Kozawa, which is what he did for the second half uh, against Barcelona. And PSG looked much, uh, much better than much more settled, much, uh, you know, much more balanced in the in the defence. Uh, obviously, right back is, will still be an issue. Uh, I think Florenzi is a little too lightweight. Uh, you know, having seen him over the course of the majority of the season now, he's he's good when getting forward, but defensively he struggles. So I think that that will be the aim for for PSG to try and keep things tight in the first leg, and then to be able to go on to the front foot in the second leg. Uh, but I I do think that it uh, it it doesn't really benefit PSG when they open up such a commanding uh, first leg lead against uh, the likes of Barcelona. You know, we've seen it happen in the past, uh, and it's and it's come back to bite them well obviously it was Barcelona again uh you know and they ended up going out uh, thanks to remontada so it doesn't always work out for PSG building up uh, an early first leg lead so I think the the best scenario for them would be for the first leg to be quite tight in Germany uh, and then to go back to Paris and get the and get the job done there so we'll see we'll see how it plays out but I do think that uh you know Bayern do have the the potential to to harm PSG to score against them but I also equally think that you know that PSG can do the same to Bayern I mean they're two similarly matched squads uh, in terms of uh, you know their attack and defense uh, I just think that uh, you know with the exception of Verratti you know Bayern probably uh, have the the stronger midfield and you know that makes them more complete overall and in terms of that game I'm not going to ask you for any score predictions because as we know anything can happen but as we speak at this moment, is there a particular side who you would say would be favourites in your opinion to just edge that tie? Uh, 
I'm confident that PSG can actually get it done over the two legs. Uh, I can't say for sure that I think they'll be able to get past a, a city if it, you know, if that was to be the draw in the semi-final. But I think over two legs, particularly given that they'll go away from home first, uh, you know, I think that PSG could, uh, you know, gain a measure of revenge for the Champions League uh, final defeat last season. Uh, so my my prediction is that PSG will shade it, uh, but it, it will be a very close run thing. Speaking of Manchester City, they're of course playing Borussia Dortmund and that'll be an interesting tie. I think on paper, given Dortmund's form and the race that they're in to qualify for next season's competition, many people would would maybe back Manchester City to be favourites. On Manchester City, Jonathan, what's your opinion of them under Pep Guardiola this season? Here in the UK, there is of course a lot of excitement in regards to Manchester City. They've been very impressive for the most part of the season in the Premier League. They're also in all of the major cup competitions. They're still in the FA Cup. They've got the League Cup final. And of course, they're into the last state of the Champions League. Do you think this could be the year that Guardiola could have a queen, a clean sweep in England, similar to the one that he had with Barcelona in Spain? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, City uh, are, are one of the form teams in Europe right now. And I'd argue that they're you know, probably the team that people would have feared more than Bayern going into that draw. Uh, you know, obviously it's uh, Dortmund who's drawn the short straw. Uh, you know, and City look good on on all fronts at the moment. Look very strong. Uh, you know, quite unforgiving in uh, in most of their performances. You know, had that major uh, winning run that we, that was ended by Manchester United. The thing that I would say about City, uh, you know, particularly when it comes to the Champions League, is they often struggle when they come into a match and they're overwhelming favourites, and they almost you know think that the match is won. Uh, before they step out on the pitch, we saw it against Lyon uh, last season when uh, when the French side shocked them to to advance at their expense. And you know, I wonder if they they're going to work really hard on the the, the mental aspect, uh, you know, to avoid that sort of complacency because that seems to be one of their major undoings, uh, you know, in uh, in Europe over the years. Otherwise, you know, they look very very strong, very solid. Uh, you know, they're playing some great football and. You know, I'd I'd argue that on paper they're probably just slightly ahead of Bayern in terms of the favourites to to go on and win it. Borussia Dortmund, on the other hand, as I've alluded to, have had a, an up and down season in the Bundesliga. They've changed manager. Well, obviously, you know Marco Rosa is going to be their manager next next season. He'll take over in the summer. They're in a wee bit of a state of flux at the moment. There's a lot of speculation in regards to Erling Haaland. He is, of course, a Amino Raiola client. So you would anticipate. If they don't qualify for the Champions League, that Raiola and the player probably would like to move on and have him playing at the elite level of football because his talents, as he's shown, clearly um, are, are made for that level. Do you think Dortmund's hopes in this tie really are reliant? Almost, I hate using that word because obviously you've got the likes of Sancho and Guerrero and other quality players on that Dortmund side, but do you think with the form that Haaland's in that he's maybe their best chance because... I look at Manchester City and John Stones, and although John Stones has improved this season and he's been very good alongside Ruben Diaz, I think if I was if I was in the Dortmund camp, I'd be trying to keep Haaland on Stones as much as possible because I think he would have the beating of Stones in the air, and crucially, I think he would have the beating of Stones if it got to a one-on-one race as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Dortmund, you know, are in a strong position having someone like Haaland uh, when they, uh, you know. For any any chances that come their way over the two legs, 
uh, you know, they'll be confident that, that he'll be able to take them. I mean, you look at some of the times that, that Haaland goes out on the pitch and he's just a man on a mission. Uh, you know, some of the goals that he was scoring against Sevilla, uh, you know, you, you'd struggle to think of many sides that would really be able to stop him when he gets going. So, you know, I definitely think that he poses the biggest threat to this City side. Uh, the, the question is whether Dortmund are going to be able to compete defensively uh, and also in terms of, you know, actually managing to create the opportunities for, uh, for Haaland to finish. But, you know, I think if the ball gets to Haaland uh, in front of goal, then, uh, you know, the, the chances are he's going to put it away. And, you know, I do think that he is capable of, uh, of, of hurting this City defence. Uh, you know, but it wouldn't surprise me to see City go through in, you know, what was quite a high-scoring encounter over two legs. I agree with you. I think City will be the side that progress in that tie. But as you've said, if Haaland has the opportunities, then as we both agree on, he could he could punish City and, and make it a much harder tie than, may, than many, I think, are looking at it being. The next match, Real Madrid versus Liverpool. And, and this is a strange thing to say because both sides are are historically very good in the Champions League. But in terms of their domestic competition, it's been, for Liverpool, obviously, it's been a very, very challenging season, which I don't think anyone expected. And for Real Madrid, it's it's hardly been a stellar domestic season so far. So both sides are coming into this game with, you could say, a lot to prove, but in another sense, not nothing to lose is a, maybe a daft thing to say, but maybe the pressure's not on them the way it would have been in previous years because... Given that last day, I don't think anyone's expecting either side to be the favourites to win it. So they could be going into it as dark horses. First of all, on Real Madrid and, and Zinedine Zidane, how, how do you assess his time at the club second time around? Because the first spell was, of course, utterly glittering and they conquered all that they wanted to conquer. But second time around has been a, a, a bit tougher, it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've not enjoyed the same success, but I think that was, you know, that that was to be expected. Uh, you know, considering the the amount of talent that they that they'd lost, you know, and that sort of guarantee of uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo was able to bring, uh, you know, up until the you know very recently. So, uh, I, I obviously, it's not as successful in terms of the in terms of the trophies. Um, to be honest, I was surprised that Zidane agreed to go back for for a second time in charge. I thought that he'd wait until Deschamps moved on from the France job, uh, you know, take over and perhaps lead France to to some further international glory, uh, you know, and then he'd obviously be in an extremely strong position. He hasn't. He's gone back, uh, you know, and Real are one of the teams that that's been finding this season really quite complicated. You know, we've seen them. Uh, you know, come quite close to, to dropping into the Europa League in the group stage. Uh, you know, they've also gone out of the Copa del Rey. So, you know, it is very, it, it is, it's not been the easiest of times. Uh, you know, not it's not been the happiest of returns for, for Zidane. But, uh, you know, I, I do find it interesting that Real have been paired with Liverpool because, uh, you know, they're, they're both having quite similar seasons. I mean, OK, Real's drop-off hasn't been as drastic as Liverpool's. But they're still two European giants who've not been finding it easy, uh, you know. And there doesn't seem to be much domestic silverware on the horizon for either one. So I, I think both will be highly motivated, uh, you know, to to make the most of this uh, this Champions League double header. Uh, and also, there's the the obvious um, motivation for for both of them as well. Well, particularly Liverpool, uh, you know, that this was a Champions League final just uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, you know that that was uh, dripping in uh, in controversy. I know that many people will remember, uh, you know the, uh, the the performance of uh, Loris Karius, 
uh, you know, but there was also the injury on uh, Mo Salah as well. So, you know, I, that's something else that's going to be really interesting. There's there's going to be a lot of needle uh, in this time, despite the fact that it perhaps doesn't jump out immediately in the same way that it would have done had both teams been on uh, top of their form. Uh, you know, it still has the potential to be very, very good and very absorbing. And in terms of Liverpool, a lot of people are maybe drawing parallels with Jose Mourinho at Manchester United when he came out and said, look, it's Europa League or bust for me. I'm prioritising that competition. It's their best route back into the Champions League. And obviously Liverpool want the glory of winning this Champions League. Of course, they do every single side in the competition from the qualifiers onwards does. But when you look at their domestic form and their run of results, winning this competition is probably the only way they're going to get into next year's competition unless there's a, a major collapse by one of the current top four in the in the Premier League. Do you think that motivation could see Liverpool over the line or with the lack of supporters at games? We all know how special Anfield is. We witnessed that many times against Barcelona most recently um, on, on television or if we were there at the match. And, and it is a very special place. Do you think in a sense that if the crowd was there, it would maybe play more into Liverpool's favour than, than maybe people are expecting it to now? Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think that the absence of fans at Anfield is obviously a, a big factor. You know, we've seen the way that they can change the circumstances on big European nights. Uh, you know, but I do I do also believe that uh, you know the league position will be a big motivating factor for uh, for this Liverpool side. I mean, the thing that was really interesting, or I found really interesting in the uh, in the the round of sixteen, was the fact that when Liverpool played at home, they were obviously away. Uh, you know, because of the the two matches were played in Hungary, uh, and that I think took away some of the pressure. And I think the more Liverpool play outside of Anfield or away from Anfield, you know, the better their chances are of progressing. And we'll see what the, the COVID situation is like in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I don't believe that uh, they're going to have to move uh, venue for now. Uh, so you know, we'll see if they can improve or pick up their their form at home. But I do think that. You know, it probably is quite eerie for the players to be playing at Anfield like that with with absolutely no noise, because we knew and we know that the atmosphere is absolutely bouncing even when it's not necessarily you know a big prestigious match. So obviously, uh, you know, I think it quite unnerves some of the uh, some of the players to see uh, you know the stadium uh, in in that state and and so empty. Absolutely, and, and and Anfield in particular, as you've said, seeing it empty is just—it's very strange for all stadiums, but even stadiums that are renowned for their iconic um, atmosphere and the way that they can drive teams over the line. The last game of the round, and I'm really interested to get your views on this because you referenced them earlier, and you have witnessed his work very closely over the last number of years. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea take on Porto. If I start on Chelsea and Tuchel. What have you made of him so far in English football? There was a lot of um, a lot made of the fact that he didn't play Mason Mount in his first game, but to be honest with you, I think there was there was too much made out of that. Tuchel's clearly a manager who recognises talent, and and Mount has been an ever present since. Obviously, I'm from Scotland. There's been a lot of chat about oh, Tuchel coming in means Billy Gilmore etc. won't get as many games as before. Again, I think that's a very lazy argument to make because he's a coach who does recognise talent and he's shown that over the course of his career so far. So I think people need to to maybe just, just calm that argument a little. Domestically, it's been very impressive seeing off Atletico Madrid in the manner that they did. I also thought was very impressive, uh, albeit La Liga isn't 
in its healthiest state, I would say, because obviously Atletico are, are the leaders in Spain and Chelsea over the two legs, you could see were, were, it was more comfortable than many anticipated. But as I say, what do you make of him so far in, in English football and how he's reacted, crucially, to, to leaving Paris Saint-Germain in the manner that he did? I mean, I think he's acquitted himself very well. Uh, you know, I think that he knows that he has um, a squad full of talent, uh, but I also think that he knows the value of getting results, uh, you know, as, as soon as possible. So he's prioritised tightening up that defence, uh, you know, and, and has probably earmarked uh, this summer, you know, to, to really go through uh, the, the more attacking positions to work out who he thinks he can work with, who, you know, he might think about moving on uh, in order to, to make Chelsea more of a goal-scoring threat going forward. But the fact that they've managed to tighten up so much uh, you know, and they're already hitting sort of double figures in terms of clean sheets uh, across all competitions since he arrived. You know, that makes them a serious threat uh, in the remaining uh, competitions that they're left in. Uh, you know, obviously it's too late to win the Premier League title, but the FA Cup, the Champions League, uh, you know, deep runs in both of those competitions are, are, are definitely, uh, uh, you know, a, a possibility, uh, in my opinion. They, uh, you know, this Chelsea side don't look like they're going to give up too many goals. They're, the other thing that I would say about the, you know, the tie with Atletico Madrid is that Atleti are not a free-scoring team. Uh, you know, they okay, they briefly flirted with it at the beginning of this season, which you know enabled them to move, uh, you know, quite comfortably clear at the top of the the league in Spain. But they're not the sort of side that are really going to, you know, throw everything at Chelsea and, uh, you know, and, and really test them. Uh, and I now wonder if, you know, being fancied as the the favourites against Porto is actually going to work against Tuchel because I've found, uh, having watched him up close in Paris, that he does his best work when he's coaching the team that's considered the underdog. So, for example, when PSG have gone into a game and unfavorable circumstances uh, through suspensions or injuries when Tuchel has been able to hand craft uh, the tactics uh, you know based on a limited amount of players uh, you know having to find solutions within the group that he's got available to him uh, you know that's when he's often done his best work you know notably the first leg against Manchester United uh, obviously we know that they went out after the second leg so it was a major underperformance at home uh, you know but when they went to Old Trafford managed to come away with a 2-0 win when people expected them not to obviously they didn't have Neymar uh, you know he had guys like Di Maria uh, coming to the fore the tactical innovation of playing uh, Marquinhos in defensive midfield uh, you know, Mbappe started to live, deliver on the Champions League stage for the first time. Uh, you know, and Verratti managed to play through the pain barrier to have a fantastic match. Tilo Kerrer filled in very well at fullback. So, you know, he he likes to, to 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 tweak it around, you know, to get innovative, to think outside the box. Uh, and I think that drawing Porto, a game that Chelsea will now be considered fav- uh, favourites for, doesn't necessarily do him any uh, any favours. Just on Porto, you have to say their performances against Juventus were incredible. Uh, a lot was made of the performance of their, of their captain, Pepe, who's been there and done it in European competition for a number of years. Just, just sum up their journey so far, because they're a club, given the, the way Portuguese football is now, and it doesn't have uh, the money in comparison to the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga or, or Paris Saint-Germain as well, Yet they've managed to get here on merit, putting out a team like Juventus, who 
who have so much in resource to consider you consider the fact that they've got Ronaldo as may, as well as many other world class players at their disposal. How impressed have you been by them? And crucially, could they do the same to Chelsea? I mean, I definitely think that there is a possibility that they, uh, you know, manage to create an upset against Chelsea. I'm not sure that I fancy them over the two legs, but sure, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me to see them, you know, perhaps get a positive result in one of the two matches. Uh, I think the thing that was so surprising about them advancing against Juventus, unfortunately for them, uh, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from them, but it's a fantastic performance. And I think Conceição has done a fantastic job as, a, as, as their coach. Uh, he's someone I rate very highly from his time in France with Nantes. Uh, you know, but I was staggered by just how poor Juventus were. Uh, you know, but that's a that's a discussion for for another day. You know, I, th- I think Pepe, uh, you know, was was really um, emblematic uh, of of that Porto that night, and you know the fact that they, you know, were punching above their weight and uh, you know managed to pull off a, a big shock result. And I think, you know, Porto are a club who have been famed for their smart transfer dealings over the years. Uh, you know, and they've obviously done more of that. And, you know, they continue to to have a, a stream of, of very talented players, uh, you know, good, solid squads, uh, you know, and obviously have Champions League pedigree as well, having, uh, you know, having won it twice in their past, uh, the second time with uh, with Mourinho in charge. So, you know, despite the... F- Porto are one of those strange teams that despite the fact that they're arguably one of the smaller teams left in the Champions League, you know, they're actually kind of bigger historically than some of the teams left in it. It's uh, it's a really strange one, but um, no, they've they've done a fantastic uh, a fantastic job to to get this far, and I, I do think that they'll run Chelsea closer than many people expect. Uh, you know, and I uh, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of uh, of what Conceição is doing, and it, it wouldn't surprise me to see a few uh, European giants taking a look at him uh, this summer. You know, with the uh, perhaps with him in mind to, to offer him the, the manager position. It will be interesting to, to watch his progress. Just a few things. Real Madrid-Liverpool, who do you see going through in that one? I'm going to say Liverpool. And Chelsea, do you think they will just edge over Porto as well? Yeah, I'm going to say that. Chelsea narrowly go through. And the last major question I've got for you, Jonathan... Obviously, we, we, we can't pick a winner because we just don't know, but if you... If you looked at these ties, who would you say is your favourite? They might not go on to win it, but as it stands, who would be your favourite at the moment? Uh, I think it's between Bayern and City, and obviously, uh, you know, there is a, a potential scenario where they come up against each other in the semi-finals. So, I I do think that in some way it will probably be one of Bayern or City that ultimately win it, but. It really wouldn't surprise me if PSG beat Bayern uh, and then find themselves coming up against City. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But I, I think my my shout uh, at this moment would be one of Bayern or City. Brilliant, Jonathan. Thank you as always for, for giving your time to Football CFB. Jonathan's work is exceptional. You can follow him on Twitter at John Legossip for all things French football and European football. As I say, he will be covering the Champions League on CBS Sports. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Callum. Thanks a lot for having me and uh, look forward to the next time.